Thank you, Pat. Pat and I go back a long way, and we have done many things together, some of them good. <laughs> if you have your Bible with you today, turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And I'm going to be reading verses 22 through 31. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to a stature? If you, then, are not able to do the least, why do you worry for the rest? Consider, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have a worrying mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things, but seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Lord, we thank you for this passage. We know, Jesus, this came from your lips, and it comes from your lips to our ears. And we ask that you would help us today, not only to hear what you've said, but to hear the meaning behind it for us individually. We know that every time we open your word, you want to speak to us. You want to bring it to life on our behalf. You want to see how it applies to our lives, where we're at at this moment in time. So we seek a blessing from you this morning. We ask that you would anoint your word and bless the teaching that we would hear and receive everything that you have for us today. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Well, Jesus talks here about worrying, and he warns about it. The conditions of fear and worry are often treated lightly, even among Christians. Many believers have come to accept them as a normal part of life. For example, if I were to ask those of you who have struggled with fear or worry in the last month to raise your hands, many hands would probably go up. The fact is, fear and worry are so common that we can tend to minimize them. Perhaps because people can't see our thoughts, we can tend to treat fear and worry lightly. Scripture, however, admonishes us to discipline our thoughts. In fact, Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount that 
sinful thoughts are just as serious as unrighteous speech or actions. Fear and worry are typically centered on some perceived unpleasant experience that may or may not happen in the future. It's not the external situation that causes fear or worry. It's our thoughts. It's our thoughts about what might happen that cause the problem. Let me illustrate it for you. Picture in your mind three people standing near a road talking to one another. Suddenly there's a terrible crash as two vehicles traveling in opposite directions collide with one another and a fire breaks out in one of the, the cars. In the car where the fire breaks out, the driver is trapped inside the car. Now, there are three people standing there observing this. And the three individuals observing it may respond in three entirely different ways. One may flee in fear, afraid there may be an explosion from the fire. There's a gas tank in that car. And the person runs because of that possible explosion. The second person, because of fear, may stand still as if he's frozen in place, unable to move, paralyzed by fear. The third person may immediately dash toward the car, the one in flames, to rescue the person who's trapped inside. All three of these people observe the same event, but the response depended on, depended on what was taking place in each one of their minds. Fear and worry are conditions that can paralyze your mind. They can immobilize your body. They can even hinder your growth in Christ. Fear and worry are always accompanied by very strong feelings. Though we may be tempted to act according to these feelings, we must be very careful not to let feelings dictate our actions. Adam and Eve are a classic example of this, and actually, I think, the beginning of it. Feelings and emotions being a problem in our lives. In Genesis chapter 2, we know that God created Adam and Eve. He brought Eve to Adam, made her his wife, and the two of them were to live a, a sinless, wonderful, loving, blessed life together. When he brought Eve to Adam, Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. The very next verse says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Years ago, when I read that verse, I thought, why did God put that in the Bible? Is there something we should learn from that? And it occurred to me one day, as I was spending some time reflecting on that verse, 
that God wanted us to understand that the way he created mankind was to be in a blessed relationship with him, which means our focus is to be on him. And when our focus is on God, it's not on ourselves. When Adam and Eve were created, they were created in God's image. And there are a lot of things, discussions that people have about what that means. But one thing we know for sure, God is a God who has no sin. And Adam and Eve were both created without sin. In that sinless condition, there was never a negative emotion in them. No fear, no worry, no panic, no, no embarrassment, no humili humiliation, nothing negative. So they were both naked, they were not ashamed. They weren't focused on self, they were focused on God and how to bless the other. Well, something happened. Satan enters the garden and he convinces Eve to disobey God. And she does. And she gives to her husband and he disobeys. So now sin has entered the picture. And what happens in a sinful heart? It ignores God. It rejects God. It wants to be God. Satan's lie to Eve was, God knows that in the day that you eat that fruit, if you eat that fruit, you'll be just like him. You can be your own God. You can control your own life. You can direct your own life. What he didn't tell her was, in the day that you eat that fruit, you're going to start trusting yourself and you can't be trusted. <laughs> There's nothing that you can do that's of any value, any good at all, apart from God. So what happens? They eat the fruit. The first thing is their eyes were both opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. The focus went from God, the blessing God that he was, the loving father that he was to them, and being centered on serving the other person to a focus on self. And we, when we start focusing on self, we've got a problem. Because if I think too much about me, one of two things is going to happen. I'm going to be prideful and think that I'm superior to someone. Or I'm going to start being self-serving by pitying myself thinking I'm a victim, poor me. Look at the problems I have. Why does this have to happen to me? But nothing good will come out of a, a total focus on myself. What happened to them was they realized they were naked, they became embarrassed, they wanted to cover themselves. The problem is not them wanting to cover themselves, the problem is the emotion of embarrassment dictated the behavior of covering. Something unique happened. They had always obeyed God, and their obedience to God always brought blessing. Now their focus wasn't on obeying God, it was on 
taking care of self. And that means problems. The emotion of embarrassment caused a behavior of covering. The next thing that happens is God comes along, as he often did, and they're hiding from him. And Adam says, I heard your voice and I was afraid, so I hid myself. Here's Adam, afraid of his creator, the one who not only created him, but blessed him with a perfect wife. And guys, I'll tell you, God's blessed you with a perfect wife too. I guarantee you that though she is not without sin, she is absolutely perfect for you and meets every need that you have. So take care of her. But back to the, the message. Adam's fear caused his behavior. The fear caused him to hide from God. So something has transformed in the garden. Instead of obedience to God and their actions dictating behaviors, or excuse me, emotions that blessed them, the emotions are now dictating their behavior, which is pulling them further and further away from God. God says, Adam, did you eat the fruit that I commanded you not to eat? Adam says, it's the woman that you gave to me. She gave it to me, and I ate it. So now, self-preservation. Still focus on me. Take care of me. Put me first. Not only does it cause him to turn on his wife, but it causes him to turn on God. He didn't say, God, it's Eve's fault. She gave me the fruit. I, I, I ate it. I'm sorry. He said, you gave me that woman. So he's going to blame her and he's going to blame God. That's what self-preservation is all about. If God doesn't preserve us, we're not preserved. We cannot preserve ourselves. He looks at the woman, he says, what have you done? She says, it's a serpent. It's not my fault. It's the serpent. She's blame-shifting now. Adam's blame-shifting, so she's going to pick up on it. The problem is how they felt, the emotions they were going through, were dictating what they're willing to do. And if we find ourselves in that place where I'm going to behave toward you or I'm going to say things because I feel this way, we're in a very dangerous place. Satan, not God, is behind that tactic of us being governed by our emotions. Fear and worry are emotions. Worrying is one of the most destructive of all the human habits that we have because it decreases our effectiveness in many other areas of our life. And it makes us less productive. It can lead to interpersonal problems, relationship issues. It can even contribute to obsessions in our lives like drug and alcohol abuse or smoking or overeating or lying or many other things. When you worry, your thoughts and your emotions actually focus on events 
that haven't yet taken place. It's like Mark Twain once said, I'm an old man and have known many great problems, but most of them have never happened. The fact is, worrying is totally passive because it accomplishes nothing. Well, nothing positive, that is. But worrying can literally make you sick. It can keep you from accomplishing the things that really matter in life. Actually, worrying can keep you from living your life the way God intends for you to live it. Fear and worry are interconnected. Unresolved fear leads to worry. Unchecked worry leads to greater fear. You find yourself in a cycle. So where does it come from? What causes it? Overwhelming fear and worry result from living to please self instead of living to please the Lord. It's that simple. Jesus illustrated this when he told a parable of talents in Matthew chapter 25. He talked about a man who was going on a journey and he called his servants to him and to three of his servants he gave talents. To one he gave five, one he gave two, and to another he gave one. And the implication is they were to use these talents in his absence. And then when he returned, he would see how they did. Well, after a long time he returned, he wanted to settle accounts with him. So he called him to himself and the first servant came to him and said, you gave me five, I traded the five, made five more. And he looked at him and said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Went to the second, called the second servant in. Same thing. He said, you gave me two. I traded those two and wow, got two more. His reply was the same. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. But when the third servant came, he said, Oh boy, I knew that you, you're a tough master. And I was afraid. So I buried that talent. I wanted to protect it. I didn't want to lose it. Here it is. This is, take what is yours. The master was very angry with him. He did not accept the one talent man's excuse. The one talent man's claim of being worried, being afraid, was denied by the master because he knew his servants. The master knew that when he gave the talents to the servants, that he would never overburden any one of them. The master rejected the claim of that one servant because 
He knew that he had given each according to his ability. He never commands us to do anything that he doesn't provide the wherewithal to accomplish. The master understood that the servant's real problem was laziness. It was disobedience because he had given him that talent according to his ability. So the problem was preoccupation with self. So often fear and worry are simply the result of preoccupation or unwillingness to put forth the required effort because of so much focus on self. First John 4 says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Fear is connected to the concern about torment or punishment. The focus, again, is on self. That servant had the wrong perception of his master. Because of the perception he had of his master, he had the wrong perception of himself. His perception of himself was distorted. And because of this, he could not see that his master loved him. The fact is, the master did not require any of the servants to be high achievers or even to be successful. He just required faithfulness, which God requires of us. Success is God's job, not ours. We are not high achievers. If there's high achievement in our life, it's because God's worked through our life and produced it. When he commands us to do something, when he gives us something, he puts something in our charge, he wants us to be responsible to do all that we can, and that's all that we have, and that's all that he requires. Anything needed beyond that, he provides. First John 4 says, excuse me, I read that. We may be afraid to step out in obedience to God's commands if we don't really understand his nature, who he is, what his heart is toward us, how much he loves us. To overcome fear, we must truly believe that God's nature is love, that he is a loving God. You need to believe that his love is directed toward us and that he wants his love to be directed toward us. To question his love is to invite fear into our hearts. It's to cause worry. God's love is perfected in you when you sincerely love God and when you love others. When Jesus was asked, what is the one great commandment? There's 633 of them or whatever. What's the one commandment that we're to follow? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
but he didn't stop there. He said, in a second, it's just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You do these two things, you fulfill everything. Love that is perfected in this way will cast out all fear. This enables us to step out in faith and trust God with the results. In fact, the first commandment, loving God, is best demonstrated by obeying his word. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, if you love me, keep my commandments. A few verses later he said, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. But he didn't stop there. A few verses later, he says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. The second commandment, to love others, can only be done when we truly love God. We can't love other people if we don't love God. We can pretend. We can try. It won't work. How do, how do I know? Because if they start acting unloving toward you, you stop loving them. Which means your attitude of love your behavior of love was predicated on their response to it. And if they don't respond in the appropriate way, the love goes away. But if we love God, you think God loves you when you don't deserve love? Yes. That's the love he wants us to have for others. And the only way we can have that love is if he's in us, if he's loving through us if we have this relationship with him because we love him so much and are willing to obey him no matter what life looks like and leave the consequences to him. In 1 John 4, John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So God's love is perfected in us, as we abide in him. And to the extent that God's love is perfected within us, we will be able to love others and conquer fear. Once again, John 1.4 says, there's no fear in love. 
but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Do you really know that God loves you? Do you believe he's for you? Do you believe that he is sovereign and he watches over your life? That he knows every detail, every moment of your life? Do you believe that he's going to use your present circumstances ultimately for your good? If you know these things, then you have everything you need to trust him. Christ's love empowers you to be an overwhelming conqueror in any situation of life as you place your trust in him. As a note of encouragement, the Apostle Paul asks in Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am pers persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In fact, God has promised to provide all the necessities of life as we seek to please him. Matthew 6 tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and seek his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. God is always available to help us and he is firmly in control of every aspect of our lives. If anyone here today is struggling with fear or worry, the Lord wants you to know that there's great hope for you. So how do we overcome fear and worry? God gives us some very practical things to do if we're struggling with fear. We're told in his word that we must have a disciplined mind. Well, what does that mean? It means we're not to dwell on negative things, the things that we're worried about, the things that cause fear. But instead, we're to dwell on positive things, dwell on God's word, his promises, dwell on his faithfulness, our history of his past faithfulness in our lives. We can only hold one thought at a time. The brain's an amazing organ. 
or muscle or whatever it is. Because you can process something like 50,000 words a minute with it, but you can only hold one thought in your conscious mind at a time. We can choose what we're going to think about. We can't always choose what's going to come into our mind, but we can choose what's going to stay there. I think it was an old commentator, I think it was Harry Ironside, who said, you can't stop a bird from landing on your head, but you can stop them from building a nest. And the idea is a thought may come to mind and you go, whoa, where did that come from? I know where that came from. But it doesn't have to remain there. We need to equip ourselves. We need to be in the word. We need to be worshiping. We need to be in prayer so that the things of God are fresh for us and we can bring them to mind. Because when you choose to think about something, the thing you don't want to think about disappears. Don't just try not to think about it because it becomes more difficult to get rid of. It's like it has hooks and it grabs hold. But choose something else to think about and this thing vanishes. We are not to allow emotion to drive us into a state of fear. But we're to bring everything to the Lord. Philippians 4 says to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So if we're anxious about anything, this peace that God provides will override any fear that we have. Fear and peace cannot coexist. And when we bring our fears to the Lord and we bring our issues to him and we lay them at his feet and we trust him, he will give the peace that will override that fear. Well, what are some of the things we're tempted to worry about? What kind of things can I bring to, to him? Well, there's the uncertainty of the future. Are you worried about what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next month? There's illness. These bodies are not going to heaven. I think, I hope you know that. And I hope that makes you happy. <laughs> there are relationship problems, interpersonal problems that people have that they worry about and finances and how are we going to raise the children? Well, in our household, we, we were very strict and we did this. Well, but we gave them a lot of grace. And what, or what about the job? Tough job market right now. Tough economy. There are lots of things we can worry about. We can even create things to, to worry about. And there's always procrastination putting things off that we know we should get done, 
but we don't want to do it now. We don't feel like it. <clears throat> now we start to worry about it. <clears throat> Excuse me. We start to worry about it because it should be done. This is a short list, but we're tempted to worry about so many things. There is a practical way to stop worrying. One is to put off or stop dwelling on self-centered concerns about the future. Start seeking God for the future he has for us. We need to put on or dwell on obedience to his word. And when we're praying, we need to pray with thanksgiving. We need to be thankful that we can pray and know that he hears our prayers and that he's a God who answers prayers, a God who loves us, and a God whose greatest desire for us is to bless us. To be thankful for all the times he's already answered prayer and the many things he's protected us from and saved us out of and saved us into. Well, how do we do that? If you have this list, and sometimes people will say, I've got so much I'm worried about, I, can't, I don't know where to start. I suggest you take a piece of paper and a pen or a pencil. And you draw three columns on that paper. In the left-hand column, at the top of the column, write, my concerns. In the middle column, write God's list. And in the far right-hand column, write my list. And start with the left-hand column, my concerns, and write down everything that you worry about, that you're afraid of, every concern that you have. Be as specific as you can, but lay it all out. And then go down that list and look at each item individually and ask yourself, is this something that I have the power or the ability to control? If you don't, draw a line through it and move it over to God's column. If you do have the power or the ability to control, move it over to your column, your list and go down the entire list of concerns doing that very thing. When you're finished, whatever's in your list on the right-hand side, you can address, and you need to. So you need to write action plans for accomplishing each and every one of those things, always under the oversight and direction of the Lord, knowing that he'll guide you, he'll pro provide everything necessary for success in those areas. But that middle column now gives you freedom because you have given God the things that you've been worrying about, but there's, they're out of your control. They're beyond your abilities or your power or your resources. But you can pray about them and know you've put them in the hands of the one who can do all things. So you don't have to worry about them. If that's God's will for you, he's going to do it. And if it's not his will for you, you're better off without it. 
Why worry? If procrastination is a problem, it can be overcome by proper planning and organization. Sometimes we, our mind is full of so many things, we think, oh, I, I, I'm overwhelmed. But when you sit down with a piece of paper and a pen and you start listing things, it's amazing how those 80 items turn into about three or four. And when they're properly prioritized, it's amazing how easy it is to get them done. I know I have this tendency sometimes to want to do the things I enjoy doing first, or that I think are easiest first, but it doesn't always turn out to be the easiest. By the time I get to the one I wanted to avoid, I, I'm not looking forward to that. By the time I get it done, I realize it wasn't nearly as hard as I thought it would be. And it is infinitely more rewarding than the other things I did. So we need to list things in order of priority. What's most important to do first? Down to what's least important. If I don't get this done, it won't matter. But if I don't get this done, it matters. Put it at the top. The temptations to fear and worry are very common. But they can be overcome simply by trusting God in all things and in all circumstances putting our confidence and our trust in the one for whom all things are possible. There's no problem too big for him. There's no issue that we face in life that he isn't greater than and superior to. As you remain obedient to his word, you won't be hampered by fear and worry. If you walk with him, walk in obedience to him and follow him, he'll lead you on the path that has no fear and no worry on it. Those things are on other paths. Instead, you'll experience the peace and joy that come from God, and you will ultimately hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. You're a God who, who loves us. We'll never understand your love completely, Lord, because we know us and we know that you know us. And we find it hard to love ourselves. But you love us. And the desire of your heart is to draw us near to you and to bring us into a place that you can bless, that you can work through our lives and create things and build things and make us into things that are above and beyond what we could ever hope or think. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that you have that kind of heart toward us. Thank you that you demonstrated that love for us at the cross and you continue to demonstrate it in every moment of every day of our lives. We thank you now for this word, that the passage where Jesus spoke 
spoke about not worrying. So we know that we don't have to. We know that there's a way that you want to take it out of our lives. So help us to yield to you, to surrender everything to you, to place everything in your capable hands. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.